0: Have you ever been attacked or persecuted for your faith? I remember hearing of a a very famous evangelist going on these great crusades overseas, and uh, he told the story of how he would uh, go out and preach, and thousands were being converted, and there would be these witch doctors around their crusade begin to pray against uh, what was happening. But in the end, several of these witch doctors would end up being converted. But it was just this reality of where they lived that, there was blessings and cursings, and that was a real thing, and as you begin to do the work of God, there might be people on the outside of the fence uh, begin to curse you. Now, maybe that's not probably your story or my story. That doesn't happen often to me, but I remember uh, as I was on the university campus in Missouri as a student, uh, just being persecuted for my faith, and oftentimes... Uh, where I worked, I worked on, on, at the bookstore on campus, and we serviced uh, 30,000 students in their textbooks. And there were some students that were there that worked underneath me and beside me. And uh, it was very, very liberal, and almost on a, on a daily basis, they would ask me questions. I was uh, just kind of ridiculed and, and criticized for, you know, believing in creation, believing in God, my views on abortion, my views on evolution, all these kinds of things was a reality as a student. Then I would go to my psychology class, and they brought in professors that, uh, you know, just criticized the Bible, and even my religious studies classes that I went to. um, uh, I remember hearing things like, Noah never really did do what he said he did, and Jonah never got sold by a whale, and all of those are just stories and legends, and it really wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea. And all these professors would speak this, and it was a constant battle of faith uh, to come out of that campus which is a very liberal campus in Missouri, and have the understanding of God and who He is. And so maybe uh, your your view is somewhere in there. Maybe that's where you've uh, experienced in your life. And if you've been a follower of Christ for any time, you could probably say, I've been at some time under a spiritual attack. How many just say, yeah, I've been under a spiritual attack before. I know what that's like. And maybe, uh, maybe you're just getting saved and likely you're learning this for the first time. But to this morning, I want to talk about Where does God's blessing and where does his protection begin and end? You know, think about can a believer be cursed and what can rob a person from the blessings of God? And what does God give the believer and what can be taken away from the believer? Um, There's this uh, song, a very old song called uh, called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. How many people have heard that song before? Grew up in a tradition uh, that that, uh, loved that song. It's one of the timeless hymns. But uh, it's a Christian hymn written by the 18th century pastor and hymnist Robert Robinson. And this song, it celebrates this fount of God's blessing. Uh, it talks about his streams of mercy never ceasing. He's our, our Ebenezer, which means our stone of help in a time of need. And so we, he says, I mean, I'm celebrating the blessings of God, my help that's never ceasing. But then at the same time, the song also notes something else. He, uh, he says, you know, I'm raising my Ebenezer. He's my uh, streams of mercy never ceasing. And then he goes on and he says, uh, but I have a tendency to wander. And he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You ever had that tension in this life that I know there's this great blessings of God in Christ, but there's a tension there that my heart is prone to wander. And he says, uh, seal it with thy courts above. I mean, the courts above. He's, he's saying, God, I don't want to do this. I want to stay in the blessings of God. This morning, we're going to look at this story in Numbers chapter 22. Uh, and it's about Israel's blessing and their backsliding and the story of Balaam. And I just want to really for us, the church today, what I want to talk about is that there is always security in God's arms. But there is a seduction of the enemy that tries to lead us astray. There's security in God's arms, but there is a seduction of the enemy that leads us astray. We're going to talk about best blessing and backsliding. Um, Numbers chapter 22, verse 2. I'm going to read the New American Standard. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw that all Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in a great fear because of the people. For they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that's around us. The ox licks up the grass in the field. And Balak, son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. So we've got this king of Moab, Balak. And so he sends messengers to Balaam, the son of Baor, at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call them. Now we know from other extracurricular texts, extra-biblical texts, that Balaam was a real person. And, and there's record of it, even uh, the secular world will recognize this, and that he lived around that area at that time. And so they send messengers to Balaam and say, Behold, the people came out of Egypt to cover the surface of the land. They are, too, they are living opposite of me. Now, therefore, please come curse this people for, for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them, drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you cursed is cursed. So the king of Moab comes against Israel as as they're about to soon to go across the Jordan River. uh, And he knows he can't defeat them head on physically. So he results to spiritual warfare. Uh, How many people have been a part of spiritual warfare before if you've been a believer for a while? So he knows he can't believe some head on. So he goes to try to believe them spiritually. And he hires this guy named Balaam. And Balaam is a famous Seer. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's a seer. See, they Say that five times fast. He's a seer. Uh, S-E-E-R. He sees. He's a seer. Okay? Uh, and it's another word for prophet or uh, diviner or an exorcist or something along those lines. He was a pagan prophet. Okay? Um, but a seer was someone who was supposed to see things in the divine realm, re, uh, respond back to them. And they are often, these like Balaam, he was a... Uh, Uh, for hire, a religious person for hire, a prophet for hire. And so he tries to hire Balaam to do the job for him. And for us today, we're talking about this cursing. He wants Balaam to curse Israel. And you and I today, in the same way, are in this spiritual warfare. Uh, The enemy is seeking to curse you. He wants to curse you. He's persistent against you. And from the very beginning, we've been in this spiritual fight. And when Satan couldn't beat us openly, he turns to cursing and deception. He knew that if he could get along with Adam and Eve and deceive them and seduce them, he says, I know if they will just rebel against God, I know the wages are, of sin is death. And so he, knowing this, he leads and tries to lead Adam and Eve into a curse, and he succeeds. And he knows that today, hey, we're, we're, we're cursed, uh, I wanna, we're going to be destroyed outside of God And because you and I were God's special creation, because you were specifically designed for fellowship with God, you have a special place in God's heart and His hand, He says, I want these people to be cursed. That means I want them to be unrighteous. I want them to be separated from God. I want them to be condemned in their sin. And now, His whole job, and having already succeeded in that, His whole job is to keep you... From the revelation of God's blessing. Satan's whole job is to keep you from the revelation that God is a good God who loves to redeem sinners. Amen? Isn't he a good God? Amen? And Satan's whole job, he's succeeded in the curse. The curse has come. But now his whole job is to keep you from the blessing. So let's talk about that blessing for a minute. Satan wants to keep you from the revelation. That God is a merciful God and he loves delivering repentant sinners into his marvelous light. Okay, so Balaam was uh, hired to curse Israel. And so he tells him no the first time because God speaks to this this prophet. And Balaam's a really interesting character. You don't know where Balaam lies, you know. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? We're going to learn more about him in the story. So God shows up to him and he says, no, don't go. And finally... Uh, Balak sends another better envoy of uh, more royal princes and they convince him. And, and so he goes to God again and God sees Balaam's heart. Balaam is a is a for hire. You know, he's a, a prophet for hire. So he makes money off of this stuff and he desires to go with him and he desires to please Balak. Uh, you know, his people are from there. And so finally, God gives in and says, you can go with him. But it was all a test because God was going to do something awesome through this guy and, and show Israel who he really was to them. So he allows him to go, and, and you know the story, and we just saw that on this video. But he goes, he gets on his donkey, he's going down the road, and uh, God sends an angel, you know, God's mad at him. God sends an angel, stands in his way, the donkey uh, has spiritual sight. Ironically, God is giving this donkey uh, spiritual sight. And she sees the angel, and she goes multiple times off the road, runs his leg, leg into the wall, and finally sits down. And finally, Balaam falls off, begins to beat the donkey. God gives the donkey not only spiritual sight, but voice. And then she says, you know, how, how, haven't I been a good, faithful donkey all this time? And he looks, and he sees the angel, and immediately... Balaam repents and says, okay, I get it. I'm going to turn around and go the other way. I really, I know I really wanted to go, and you didn't want me to go, so I'm going to go back. So the angel says, no, but here's the deal. You can go, but I want you to say exactly what I'm going to tell you from the Lord. The angel of the Lord is, don't say anything I'm not going to say. In Numbers 22, verse 38, so Balaam said to Balak, behold, I have now come to you. I am able... T- Am I able to speak anything at all? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I shall speak. So Balaam and Balak they go three times to three different hills. Balak Balaam says, "Give me seven seven uh, altars with a ram and uh, and a bull on each one." And you got the seven different altars on this hill. They go in, and here's the ironic part in Numbers twenty-three verse five. This is very key. It says, the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. Just like the Lord put eyes to the donkey and mouth to the donkey, now the Lord begins to put words to this mule of a man, right? This donkey of a man, and God begins to speak through this pagan prophet. And look what he says. I'm going to sum up these prophecies. But Balaam begins to prophesy, and he says, Well, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Numbers 23, verse 8. And instead, he begins to prophesy about the first thing is Israel's calling. He begins to prophesy about their calling. He sees it this way. He begins to prophesy that they are an upright people, a people who are called to be set apart, who are called and cannot be counted, who are called according to the favor of God. And prophetically, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he says, once he sees what God's blessing is for Israel, he says, let me die like them. Let my end be like their end. And then the Holy Spirit stops. And he, you know, probably one of those moments like, oh, wow, what just happened for a second? And so the king gets mad. He says, let's go to the other hill. So they go to another hill. And the same thing happens. Give me seven altars and seven rams and seven bulls. Again, I can only speak what God puts in my mouth. And again, the Holy Spirit comes upon Balaam and begins to speak through the mouth of Balaam. God takes over his mouth. And he begins to, uh, the first one was his their calling. Now he begins to talk about their acceptance. He begins to bless them. He says, there's a blessing on Israel that cannot be revoked. He says, I see Israel, they're delivered and they're innocent of all sin. And he goes on even to sum up and say, this is an unstoppable people. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're an unstoppable people. Hey, y'all don't believe it just yet, but you will in a second. Okay. So he says... They're called. They've been accepted by God. They are an unstoppable force because of the grace of God is for them and not against them. And so the king gets even more madder, shocked and upset. He says, I'm going to try it one more time. He takes him over to another hill, even to a barren place. Don't you know sometimes the enemy likes to look at your barren places to begin to condemn you, pull things out of your life and say, I know where you've been, I know what you're going through, I know where you were takes him to a barren place on this hill, and again, here we are again, and the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. And so chapter 24, verse 2, and Balaam begins to see the glory of God, and he sees a promised dwelling place for Israel. He sees their future king. This king is going to be like a lion. He's going to have an exalted kingdom. Numbers 24, verse 9, and this, this guy is angry now, and so he rebukes Balaam. He tells him to leave and go back home. And as he begins to leave and go back home, a fourth time the Holy Spirit comes upon Balaam in a vision of God. And he says, I see a star. I see a ruler coming from Jacob. He's going to have dominion. He's going to destroy all of Israel's enemies, including your kingdom, Moab. And they are going to have total victory. Now, that's some awesomeness. I don't know about you, but when God begins to do that uh, for Israel. Now, think about this. For us, the church, okay? Think about this for us, the church. The enemy is persistent against God's people. I don't know, again, if you've been a Christian from any length of time at all. You're going to note real quick, the enemy is persistently against God's people. If he can't try to get you on one hill and one place in your life, he's going to go to another hill and try to get you. The Bible says in Peter that he's a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If he can find your weakest moment, if he tries to go to your barren places and condemn you from your past... You guys had 40 years in the wilderness. You guys failed God. You were no good. You turned your back on God. Look what you've been through. How can God even love you? And it begins to think that enemy knows where to come against you. Amen? You with me this morning? He knows what to find in your past. He's trying to scare you. He's on this side and he shows up on that side. And if it's not your car breaking down today, it's your bills getting past you tomorrow or it's your kids rebelling on this side or if it's this family drama today, it's another family drama tomorrow. The enemy is always on the attack. I mean, you know what I'm talking about today? He's there. He's in the world. He's seeking you to devour. Why? Because you are special to God. There's something about you that God loves and sees. And even though you've rebelled against Him, even though time and again you were no good and you were lost in the slavery of sin in Egypt, He was willing to sacrifice His Son's blood, the Lamb, part the waters from you. And even when you rebelled in the wilderness, He kept guiding you and guiding you. And it's a wonder that you're even here today alive. Amen? And yet the enemy sees that God is that patient with you. He's long suffering with you but he wants to destroy you because you are something special to God. Now, here's this story. I love this. is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament because, one, it's just so outlandish. But here's what it, any Israelite would have understood this, and I'm not reading in the King James today for a reason because it doesn't say donkey for those of you who grew up in church, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm saving you that in the modern context. But for an Israelite to read this story they would have understood one thing. Who's the real donkey in this story? It's Balaam. Balaam, in a sense, is getting called a donkey by God. And I think that's just funny, you know. God has a sense of humor. Because if God can open the blind eyes of this so-called seer. He's supposed to see, but it wasn't him who saw, it was the donkey who saw, right? And now he's beginning to see the glory of God as the Holy Spirit begins to take him over. He begins to see the Almighty. How many know that God can open the blind eyes of people, right? And so not only is he opening the blind eyes of this so-called seer, he begins to open the dumb mouth of this pagan prophet. So not only did he open the donkey's mouth, he begins to open Balaam's mouth. How many know that God can begin to use your enemies to prosper you? God, God has a sense of humor. He often turns what the devil meant for evil into good, and that's what he does here. So if God can make a donkey talk, he can make a Balaam talk. That's what God's teaching us today. And in the other sense, he begins to turn what the enemy's curse was, and the enemy decided wants to curse him Every curse was turned into a blessing. Now he gives, opens the blind eyes, he opens the muted mouth, and he begins to turn the curse into a blessing. God is in the same business of doing that for his church today. Anything you're going through in your life, there might be cursing of the enemy. There might be opposition against you. There might be blind people trying to give you direction. There might be people who have a dumb mouth speaking falsehood over you. Or maybe there's just the enemy has come against you on all sides. God is in the business of blessing his people. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me give you the four things that applied to them that apply to us. Because Israel was called, they were accepted, they were rewarded, and they had a victory. And just like Israel, you and I are also called by God. The Bible says that we are set apart just like them, according to his purposes, that we are grafted into that calling with Israel. And the Bible says that you and I are made righteous through the new covenant of Christ. And just like what Balaam saw when he said, I see these called people, he says, I want my end to be like their end. Let me tell you, church, you've got a good end in store with Jesus. The world, uh, whether when they have a revelation, if God would open their eyes and just like Balaam to see, we would know that our end is glorious. My end on this earth is going to be glorious. My end on this earth is going to be victorious because I win. I'm called in Christ according to his purposes, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, everybody say all things, all things, all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. God has designed you to become like Jesus Christ. He's given you the same glory as Him, the same calling as Him. And just like Israel was called by God and has a better end than all the rest of this world, you and I today as well. We have got a better end than all the rest. Is that true? Amen. Number one, you're called. Number two, you're accepted. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that God made him who knew no sin be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And once uh, Colossians tells us that we were once alienated in our minds, always going to this wicked deeds and, and ignorant to the things of God, but now God, through the death of Christ, has reconciled us. You know what reconciled means? It means that God has changed your status From enemy to a friend of God through Jesus Christ. You have been accepted. Church, I want you to get this in your head. Just like the word we had earlier today. God is accepting you. He's accepting you not because you're good enough. Not because you deserve it. But because He's changed your status to be just like His Son, Jesus Christ. And so because He accepts His Son, Jesus Christ, He now accepts you. He accepted Israel because Israel had passed through the blood of the Lamb. And passed through the waters of baptism and followed his spirit by faith through the wilderness journey. So he had accepted them in their nature. Before they ever did anything for God, he was willing to accept them. The same is true for you. God has called you according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. If you love God, he's accepting of you. He's uh, uh, catering to you. He's calling into you uh, to come into him. And so he's freed you without, uh, from accusation, Colossians says. He's made you holy without blemish. And because of that, he's reconciled you. You're called, you're accepted, and you've got a reward. The reward, Balaam begins to prophesy in the last two. He says, man, I see a kingdom for them. I see a, a place of prosperity for them. I see a reigning king over them. And we, in this new age that we're in through the, the church... We know that Jesus came as our reigning king. He has come to open up blind eyes. He's come to proclaim the year of God's favor, to preach good news to the poor. And all the things that he said he came to do, he did. Amen? And so this great king has come, and now he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. you and I, so many people want to look at this and say, all right, God's blessing. How do I live in God's blessing? Do I get a new car? Do I get money? Do I get all these things and material possessions? That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about a spiritual place of blessing. God has rewarded Israel spiritually and He's rewarding you as well. Now, a lot of physical stuff can come through that, but the greatest reward God can give you was a king and a kingdom. Acts 2.39 says that this promise that Jesus promises, good news, and his spirit was going to be to you and to all of your children. Everybody who's far off, God is saying, I want to reward you with my son. I want to reward you by letting you be a part of his kingdom. Man, and and think about this. His kingdom was intended to be the reward of Jesus. Now, how many know that's going to be a good reward when the father God says, son, this is what I have made for you. This is your reward. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to let you be a part of my reward. That's goodness. I don't, there's nothing in this world that compares to the kingdom of God. There's a lot of things that have a lot of bling bling. But in this world today, the only, uh, the, the chief reward that God could give you is a king and a kingdom. And lastly is victory. God told Satan uh, the seed of Eve would crush his head. And through this sinless life of Jesus Christ his sacrificial death or resurrection Jesus he gains the victory over sin and death. John 16:33 says he's overcome the world and by faith 1 Corinthians 5 tells us that by faith when we follow Christ that there is no longer any sting in death. There's no longer any sting, there's no pain in death because why? We are victorious. In Christ, you want to know what the blessing of God in Christ is today that you are called, you are accepted, you've got the best reward in the universe, a king and a kingdom, and that now you have the victory that Christ had over the grave. You've got his eternal life. And if there's any other joy to be found, it's not going to be in material stuff. It's not going to be an identity in who you marry or who you're with or who you're dating or what clothes you wear or what place you vote or what state you live in or what food you like. It's not going to be in any of those things because Paul in height and height and Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and through 39, he says the epitome of what we're getting to today is that Israel is secure in the blessing of God and we are secure in the blessing of God and that has got to be the source of our joy, the source of our identity, the source of our faith, of our hope. And Paul says it this way. He says, and I'm sum of those uh, those four verses together that neither death, life, angels, principality, power, any created thing, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, things present, things to come, none of it can separate you from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus. That is the blessings of God. So many people in Israel probably wanted to say, can we just get, get across the Jordan? Can I have a house? Can I have a condo? Can I get a car? Can we have a nice place to raise our kids and go to school? Okay, that's that you're missing it. The blessing of God is everything God gives you in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing any better right there's nothing any better so I think about Israel in this moment now get it they have no clue this is going on they're in the valley going man God can we just get across the Jordan can we hurry up and get out of here because I hate this desert it's there's no there's no Taco Bell in this desert there's nothing here no McDonald's no no Popeye's chicken all that we're here in this desert all around guess what's going on God is fighting their battles think about that what 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 they did not what they were not aware of is that God was consistently fighting for them even when they were unaware and today for you and I we could go through life being totally unaware of how many times God has stopped you from going through that red light. We talk about that a lot. Or how many times God has saved you from that place or that marrying the wrong person or going to the wrong school or getting the wrong job or making that wrong financial decision or, or not going to that thing or missing this appointment. All that kind of stuff. God is always on our side. But in the middle of those places... We can get really discouraged. We can forget the joy of the Lord because we so often forget the blessing of God that is always for us. This morning, I want us to remember something. You are blessed. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You got any doubt today? Do you lack any joy? You can have no fear. And let me say this. Nothing can stop God from blessing you. If God desires to, desires to bless you, it's going to happen. Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's the heritage of the righteousness of God of, in Christ. But here's the problem. Let's go on. Balaam, this didn't work. Balak tried something else. Okay, that doesn't work. Gone. Balaam's gone. But on the way, we find this in other scriptures that we infer from, from later in the New Testament later even in the Old Testament on Balaam's death. Balaam did something secretly, and he desired the wealth that Balak was going to give him. He desired to please him. And so he tells Balak how, if he can't do it directly, and God keeps taking over his mouth, he says, here's what I want you to do. If you want victory, you're going to go invite Israel to your pagan festivals, and you need to put your women among them, because these are very pagan, very sexual festivals. They're very idolatrous And so Balak begins to put his people in there and become friends with them, and his people begin to seduce them. And look in Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. Israel maintained they remained at Shittim, and uh, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, for they invited the people to the sacrifices of their God, and the people ate and bowed down to their God. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. What the enemy could not do direct and head-on, what he could not do through a curse, he did through seduction. What he could not do directly against you, he may come at you from a different uh, angle. He can't beat you on this hill, on this front, because your faith is strong, God's blessing is secure, and nothing can keep you from the blessing of God. Nothing is going to, if God says, I'm blessing them, they're my people doesn't matter what the devil does. You're blessed. doesn't matter what the devil does. You've got the promises of God in Christ. Nothing can take you out of the promises of God in Christ, or nothing can stop God from giving you the promises of God in Christ if he decides to give them to you. But God had commanded Israel in Exodus 15. He says, you've got to listen carefully to my voice, do what's right in my eyes, pay attention to my commands, keep my word, and if that's the case, I'm not going to give you all the diseases of Egypt. I'm going to be the God who heals you. But don't forget, Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, and all your strength. So what happens? Israel begins to backslide. Literally, they turn their backs on the Word of God. They begin to get lost in the pagan ideology. And so God sends a plague across the camp. And it begins to sweep across the camp. And this is probably not something that happened instantaneously, their seduction, their, their idolatry. But this plague begins to go on. We don't know for how long. But it gets to a point where 24,000 people in their camp have died to this plague. Why? Because of idolatry. Because they had disobeyed and got, they had left the covenant of God. And so there was this woman in this sky, this pagan woman and, and her... Uh, actually, it was a Jewish man and his mistress, this pagan Moab woman. And they even enter and boldly enter in their... They're not even ashamed of their sin. They enter into the area where Moses and the elders were. And one of the priests, Phinehas... Uh, uh, grandson of Aaron, he sees it. righteous indignation comes over him, and he throws a spear and kills them both. And immediately the plague ends. And God says to Moses, Moses, you need to be more hostile with the enemy. You need to put out sin in the camp and take a stronger stance against sin. The question for us today is not, can we can God, will God withdraw his blessing from us, and, and can I lose my salvation and all that? You know, those are all questions for a theological day. Simply, it's this. God's blessing is secure, but the enemy loves to seduce you away. And if he can't get you head on, he's going to begin to pull you on the back door. And so our question is, how serious are we on sin? Do we see it as a plague that destroys our lives, our families, our marriages, our churches? And as a church, we're called the same way, to love the Lord, to give our heart and soul, mind and strength to Him. And Jesus says, if we turn our back, no one's worthy. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, we're not fit for the kingdom of God. And repeatedly in the New Testament, you're going to see something, a theme of the doctrine of Balaam. And over and over again, uh, He says that uh, God is warning the church in the modern age and in the end times. He says there's going to be, just like there was for Israel, this destruction, this seducing of Balaam. It's going to be happening in every generation. No doubt it's happening here today in our community. For instance, 2 Peter chapter 2, he, Peter begins to warn. He says, hey, guys, there's going to be false teachers that come in your church. There's going to be people who indulge in evil pleasures in the daylight. They're not even going to be ashamed of their sin. He said there's going to even be people come and they're going to eat in your church. They're going to take communion with you. And they're going to be secretly trying to pull out your young Christian's They're going to make friends with the new Christians, new converts. They're going to pull them into their clubs and their cliques, and they're going to secretly pull them out of the church. And he says, there are going to be people coming to your church trying to preach, and they just preach because they want to earn some money. And they secretly do wrong. That's going to be one way Balaam's going to come into your church. He says in the last days, Jude chapter or Jude, verse 10 through 12. He says there's going to be false brothers that come in. They're going to hate people in your church. They're going to deceive other people in your church. They're going to be rebellious against authority in your church. They're even going to take communion with you at your church. But he says, guess what? Be aware. They're going to be false brothers like these Balaams come in. They're going to be like a dangerous reef who can shipwreck you and shipwreck your church. And the way you'll know is that they'll only care for themselves and what they do in your church will produce no fruit in other people. And then in Revelation, we see it again, Revelation 2:14, Jesus begins to tell the Church of Pergamum. He says, "There's those that, while you've been a faithful church in the city of Satan, and you've held true in these last days. He says, there's some in your church who've held to the teaching of Balaam. They've compromised with sin, and in so doing they've caused others to stumble." In a sense, they've been abusing the doctrine of grace. They've been weak on sin, hyper on grace. This is still true today. Look at what this is. And if I give you three things to take home, the temptation of Balaam today is number one: distort the truth. For a church, Satan—if he can't come, uh, church—if Satan can't come against us head on like a lion, Warren Wiersbe says he's going to come as a serpent. He's going to come in the back door of the church. He's going to try to distort truth among the people of God. He's going to nullify the grace. He's either going to say, hey, you need to go this legalism and don't worry about the grace of God. You've got to earn your salvation. Or he's going to abuse the grace of God and say, hey, go ahead and go for a loose living. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. It doesn't matter if you you watch that or not. It doesn't matter if you say those words or not or do this or that or not. God loves you. His grace is for you, God. Everything's going to be okay. There's one doctrine. It's distort the truth. The second thing Balaam would use today is this, is compromise with the world. That's the fail to be separate from sin, to compromise and cause ideology and immorality, uh, ideology of immorality to come into the church. And number three, it's lazy and zeal. It was the zealousness of that priest who came against sin that stopped the plague. It's a zealous church who is for the things of God and say, God, we're not happy with the status quo. God, we're getting back in our prayer closets. Lord, we're getting in our war rooms. God, we're getting back into the Word. We're teaching our children the Word of God. We're standing against sin. Yeah, we're going to be relevant to a culture. Yeah, we're going to be able to reach out and and reach those that are hurting and broken. We're going to be having a, a voice with our community. But God, we're going to be zealous for the Spirit of God. We're going to be zealous for the Word of God. We're going to stand against... What we know to be sin today, because Paul says, "What do unbelievers have with uh, what do believers have to do with unbelievers? What does light have to do with darkness?" And Paul would end in Ephesians chapter six. He says, "Church, if you want to avoid all the tricks of deceit in your marriages and your families and your your churches, he says in Ephesians six eleven, if you want to stand against all the strategies of the devil." Put on the full armor of God. I don't know about you, I want to be able to stand against all of the strategies. It's very easy to say, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not drinking. Okay, I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to do this. And we do all these big no's. Okay, that's easy for some of us who've been in church raised this way. You know, there's all these hills. The devil's trying to say, Hey, come to drugs, come to sex, come to this. Come. And for those of us who've been in church, we're always like, Okay, yeah. I'm in the I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm going to I'm in God. I I know who I am. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. But then through the back door of the church, here comes the serpent. He can use individuals. He can use doctrine. He can use TV preachers. He can use our simple uh, desires of the flesh. And we begin to compromise our hearts. And Paul says, if you want to do this, put on the armor of God. That's his truth. Put on God's righteousness. Put on God's peace, put on His faith, put on His salvation. Uh, Have His Spirit and His Word in your life. Why? And it's simply this. The only thing that can stop the blessings of God in your life is one thing. It's disobedience. It's disobedience. There's nothing that can keep you from the blessing of God except for disobedience. It's our own tendency to be prone to wonder. We have a fount of blessing. It is ours for the drinking. It is ours for the taking. But the only thing that can keep us from receiving the fullness of God, it's not the devil. It's me. My disobedience. The only thing that can take you out of God's hand, the only thing that can remove you and and place you at a place where God can no longer bless you is your uh, being prone to wonder. My willingness to compromise in areas, my willingness uh, to not be zealous in certain areas, or my willingness to go against what the Word of God says. So here's what we're doing today. Blessing and backsliding, blessing and cursing. We want to know one in the middle of a, a wilderness place, God is for you. He's not against you. We want you to understand today that Satan cannot beat you. He does not own you. He cannot curse you. He cannot come against you. So long we have feared the devil. We have feared the things of spiritual warfare. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. He is defeated. He is defeated. There's no condemnation for you anymore. The accuser has been thrown down. He knows his time is short. Church, we need to be standing up in victory today, confident in joy in the blessing of God. But on the other hand, to know, God, is there any Moabites in my life? Are there people in your life that are bringing you down? Are there activities in your life, in your relationship, your personal life? Is there things that are drawing you away that the blessing of God is falling from you? So maybe today there's things that's saying, we're going to say this, that don't be blind to the blessing of God and don't fall prey to the seduction of sin. And God may discipline you for a little bit, but he will not forsake you as long as you continue to obey his voice. Amen.